Thank you, Brian. This uh, winter quarter at Grace Hills Church, we have the privilege of studying the best sermon ever. Uh, not preached by me, but we get an opportunity to examine it because we're looking at the words of Jesus and the longest recorded message that he ever preached in the New Testament. Uh, recorded in Matthew chapter 5 through 7. So if you have a Bible, uh, turn to that section and we'll be looking at, at that as we look at God's word this morning. You know, as anyone preaches, and even as Jesus preached that powerful message on that particular day on the, uh, on the hills looking out at sea, the Sea of Galilee, he was preaching at a variety of people. And you can kind of classify people who come to hear someone preach or speak in a variety of different ways. But one simple way is, is to understand as you're, as you're speaking to people, some people get it and some people don't. And as he preached this message, he was attempting not only to deepen the faith of those who already had faith, but he was calling those who hadn't gotten it yet to get it. And this morning, that's what we're going to be seeing uh, as we look at his words. He's speaking in the lives of those who had really gotten it, in terms had had come to faith, had come to the point in their life where they could honestly say, even though at times it was almost too good to be true, it was hard to believe, that they were blessed. They were blessed by God. They were favored by God. and, And it was amazing for them to understand that from the one who came to bless them. And as he gave that introduction, we've looked at it for the last couple weeks, he then began to speak into their lives, basically saying, well, if that is true, then, then what? What should your life now be? Because you are in favor with God, you are blessed by God. And really, we entitled the message this morning, uh, Who is Influencing Who? And, and really, the message that we're going to see this morning from the words of Jesus is, is that God has made us blessed, to use an old cliche, to be a blessing to others. He has called us to be one who recognized we've been influenced by God, and now we can influence others. Uh, we can be people who recognize that God has made a difference in our lives, therefore we should make a difference in other people's lives. And there's so many different ways we can do that. In fact, you can use all five senses to somehow uh, give uh, a signal that you're now in the room. Uh, I want to read a passage, uh, you are making a difference, uh, from 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 through 17, before we look at the text this morning. Uh, Paul writes this, Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ, and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing, those who get it and those who don't. To the one we are the aroma of death leading to death, and to the other the aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not, as so many, peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as from God we speak in the sight of God in Christ." And hopefully you got the, the main point there, is that when we walk in a room, there ought to be a certain aroma that comes out of us. You know, we ought to smell the people. <laughs> and we ought to smell in such a way that they can see the, they can smell and sense the, the sweet fragrance and aroma of, of God is now in this place. There's something different about our life. For some, that will bring hope, and for some, that will be, bring despair because they're running from the message of God. I was reading this past week about a couple... Greek myths that kind of present this story as well. There, there are two types of people who walk in a room. Some people who light it up and somehow it just darkens it. Uh, listen to this. An ancient Greek myth tells of one who came to earth unseen, but whose presence was always known by the blessings she left behind in her pathway. Uh, 
Trees burned by fire, forest fire, sprouted new leaves, and violets sprang up in her footprints. As she passed a stagnant pool, its water became fresh, and parched fields turned green as she walked through them. Hills and valleys blossomed with new life and beauty wherever she went. Wouldn't you like to know someone like that? I mean, just life just burst out in beauty because that person's presence came into a room or came into your relational experience. But that's not all the kinds of people that are in this world. Another Greek story tells of a princess sent as a present to a king. She was as beautiful as Aphrodite and her breath was as sweet as perfume. But she carried with her the contagion of death and decay. From infancy, she had fed on nothing but poison and became so permeated with it that she poisoned the very atmosphere around her. Her breath would kill a swarm of insects. She would pick a flower and it would wither. A bird flying too close would fall dead at her feet. That's a person you don't want to meet. (laughs) I know some of you were checking the breath of the person next to you, right, as I was telling that story. (laughs) But what kind of people are we? Are we people that bring life, or do we really bring death? What kind of person are we? Well, Jesus, as he was speaking to those he had just proclaimed blessed, and not all of them were blessed, but those who were in favor of God, he now makes a statement, which is interesting. Uh, familiar to almost everyone here, if not everyone here, he speaks to them. He says, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. We're going to be looking at just a very short portion in the message of Jesus that he gave on that day on the, on the mount looking out over the Sea of Galilee. And we're just going to try to unpack this. And what's interesting about that, when he says, you are the salt of the, the earth or you are the light of the world, you, you could have imagined he could have said it a, a number of different other ways. You could be the salt of the earth. You could be the light of the world. But that's not how he said it. He didn't say this is the goal for you to attain. He said this is who you are. He was speaking to the identity of the people who are blessed by God. God has made the difference. Our challenge is to live it out. It is to be what he has made us to be. Not to try to become something we aren't, but to be something we are, and show it to others. So as we see this, and again, as you look at Scripture, all of God's Word is, is practical and is an application for us. Some have, have put it in a variety of different ways for us to be those who look at God's Word and see, well, what, what is it you want to tell me today? Uh, the, the acronym that I like the best is, we all need to put on our specs as we see God's Word. And it's an acrostic that kind of just gives you an outline of the things you ought to examine your own heart with when you hear the message from God. The the letter S speaks about a sin to forsake or a sin to give up. The P stands for a promise to claim or a praise to proclaim. The E stands for an example to follow. The C stands for a command to obey. This is not going to be on the test. I'll give it to you later, right? And, And the S is something to believe or know. And really, I want to camp a little bit on that. If you leave with nothing else this morning, I want you to understand, if, if you have come to faith in relationship with Jesus Christ, you need to believe that you are the salt of the earth. You are the light for this world. 
And the only challenge is how much is that salt getting out of the salt shaker? And how much is that light being shown so people can see it? You don't have to become something you aren't. God says, this is who you are because I made a difference in your life. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light and the hope for this world. Well, let's, let's look at it this morning and see if we can unpack some things as we uh, see God's word in, in all, or at least some of its depth this morning. You are the salt of the earth, Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its favor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Now, the last part of that verse, we'll look at it toward the end of my explanations of what it means to salt the earth. But let's, let's just look at what it means to be salt. First of all, looking at the very first word of the statement, the you there, and you can't really see it in our English language because we don't make any difference between singular and plural with the word you. But in the Greek language, as well as other languages, they make a designation whether something is singular or plural. And interesting here, it's in the plural. You are the salt of the earth. And the idea there is, again, it's all of you individually, and it's all of you collectively. And again, it's in the context of understanding. He's speaking to the ones who are blessed, who are in favor with God, who are in relationship with God. And the reason I stop for a moment to speak about that is, again, it's somewhat counterintuitive. Because sometimes we think, and if you think I should be put on a pedestal, you just don't know me that well, all right? But sometimes we think of those who are vocationally religious, you know, clergy, reverends, pastors, whatever it might be. That those are the real salts of the earth. Those are the real lights in this world. And that's not what he was saying. He was saying to a group of people who felt inferior to all the religious folks leading them, all the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes, and, and they, just, they didn't think somehow they could be blessed by God. And so when he said this, it was, it was amazing to them. He said, you, you are the salt of you, or the earth. You are the salt of you. you are the light of the world. And so he wanted them to understand that it, it is available to all to be part of God's family, to be blessed if they see their need and rely upon him. But I think he also used the plural because as we operate for God, and these are action words, salt and light, we do it not only individually as we rub shoulders with people and we connect with people in our relational world, our oikos, as we've tried to explain it here at Grace Hills Church. We do it individually, but we also do it collectively. And sometimes I will hear stories about an individual making an impact on someone's life, but I also hear sometimes we'll say, you know, I've, I've met the people in your church, and they're so friendly, and, they so, and, and so many different people come up and talk to me, and, and there's something different about the group that's at Grace Hills Church. It's that collective witness or testimony for God. So as we think about doing life, we do life not only individually, but we do life together. But, but let's look at it a little bit further. What, what is salt? Now, interesting, in that particular day, salt was considered much more valuable than it is today. I mean, there is value today, and we see it, but not quite as much as they saw it then. In fact, the, the Romans actually considered salt divine. Uh, they, 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 it was a word, the word 
the Greek word for God in the New Testament is theos, and they consider it theon. It was, it was something that God gave humankind and we so desperately needed. So again, as you think about your identity of being blessed or favored by God or in God's family, it's about being connected to that which is supernatural. And that is so true when God invades our life. It also was extremely valuable. Interesting enough, uh, for the Romans, they, they had a statement. They said, except for the sun, they considered nothing as valuable as salt. In fact, Roman soldiers often were paid their wages in salt. And if someone did not do well, whether they were a soldier or whether they were a laborer or someone given responsibilities and they did not fulfill their responsibilities, there became a phrase known as, you aren't worth your salt. Well, for us, that doesn't make any sense. I mean, mean, we just, salt is really nothing. But for them, it was so needed because they didn't have refrigeration. They couldn't preserve things. And if they didn't have salt, their, their existence would be threatened and totally diminished. So as, as Jesus, again, makes this statement to them, uh, he's telling people who, who, look, who felt so inferior as they compared themselves to others. And he said, I want you to understand that you are, you are touching that which is divine when I call you the salt of the earth. Uh, this, is, this is in that spec, something to know and to believe and, and make a difference in how you see yourself. And how you make a difference in how you see yourself is not for you to look at yourself or have others look at yourself, but look at how God looks at you. You are extremely valuable because of what he's done. Interesting enough, salt even in the Old Testament, was used strategically to to show again its value and what it meant. It was used to assure a promise. We won't look it up in 2 Chronicles 13, verse 5, when when God, and oftentimes God would touch down as he, he made evident who he was and what he was about to do, It is said that he gave a promise to, to David and assured it by giving salt as a down payment of the promise. It's interesting also in Leviticus chapter 2, verse 13, it is said that when the Israelites gave offerings to God, and if you, if you ever want to, to struggle in your, in your reading of God's word, go through the book of Leviticus. It's, 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 it's pretty weighty to kind of go through that. But there's a lot of diamonds in the rough there. And, and one of the things it says in Leviticus 2, 13, that they would season their offerings with salt. Now, I'll just try to think of that for a moment. You know, we offer God all kinds of things as we try to live for Him. Hopefully, we offer up our time and our, our financial resources and our, our, our gifts and talents. And, and, and sometimes, you know, as we look at what we offer, we say, you know, what do I have to give to God? I, I, don't, I don't have much to give Him. Well, if you want to give them something important, then just sprinkle some salt on it. And to recognize that you are valuable. And what you have is valuable if you give him your all. I always like to apply scripture for, you know, there's a variety of ways to give to, to the ministry of Grace Hills Church for the kingdom of God. You can go online and give. You can um, send things in the office. You can have automatic 
payments. You can, you can, I like to use the envelopes each week. We have envelopes in front of the, uh, of the, the chairs in, in the sanctuary. And today, what I did for my offering, I poured salt on it because I wanted to make it a little bit more valuable. See, see, God sees you as that which brings value to what you do. Also, salt creates thirst. Now, I, I'm not uh, an expert on animals by any stretch of imagination, but I've heard at times when, when some animals cannot drink, they, they will give the animals salt because it will create in them something they do not have on their own, and it will create a thirst. And I get, now as we get to some of these applications of what salt is, it, it begins to picture in our mind, okay, if I am the salt of the earth... And that's, by definition, who I am if I know God in a personal way. Well, what does that look like in terms of how I live my life? Well, I guess you could take this and you could visualize as as I live and as you live and as we live faithfully for God that, that we'll create a thirst in others for what we have. And there's there's so many testimonies, and I heard a number of yours, where as you speak about what brought you to faith, what brought you to faith is you saw something in someone else's life that you wanted. That that person created a thirst in you for, for God. And, and there, was, there was a spark in, in how they lived and how they responded to life that said that that's what I need. And so again, as we think about being salt of the earth, we are extremely valuable, but we're also extremely important because God uses us to draw people to himself. But as we think about, you know, salt, and I want to, I want to think about that in a couple ways primarily uh, this morning. It's probably the ways that we think about salt the most is that salt adds flavor, and salt preserves or retards corruption. Uh, But let's look at for a moment that salt adds flavor. And it's interesting, uh, the Word of God has a couple passages in here that speak about adding flavor to life. In Job 6, verse 6, it says this, "Can Can flavorless food be eaten without salt? Or is there any taste in the white of an egg? Now, I'm sure all of us, we, you know, we've heard about the difficulties of eating too much salt, but there's certain foods that you just, it's almost impossible to eat without some kind of salt on it, whether it be eggs or potatoes or whatever it might be. And, and what, he's, what he's saying here is, as we think about our life, are we adding flavor to life? It kind of relates to the idea of creating thirst. As we create thirst, part of how we create thirst is, is bringing flavor that people see, you know, God in our life. And they see, in fact, someone has said this, that as we think about adding flavor to life, we live life like Jesus lived life. And he lived in a couple different ways. He lived it in terms of, of refraining from doing that which would destroy life and then also living a life in which the fullness of life was there. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 6, it, it speaks about how our speech ought to be flavored with salt. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. 
And that kind of relates to the, the last two things I want to talk about as it relates to salt. salt. Salt is that which retards corruption and salt is that which preserves. Or it's kind of like an antiseptic. It, it keeps things from decaying. When we live out who we are, particularly in our speech, the words that come out of our mouth will either add to the decay going around us or it will somehow take it away. The Bible talks in Proverbs 51 that a, a soft answer turns away wrath. What's the natural way to speak? When you're angry, is you blow up, and all it adds is fuel to the fire, what's going on. Or maybe you use a few choice words that, that all of a sudden everything kind of gets dark. And he says, if we live out being salt of this earth, that what we speak will speak volumes of, of where our heart is at that moment. And will draw, even as Jesus said earlier, us to be peacemakers rather than people who, who add to the conflict that's going on around us. It's interesting, is, is those write about salt being an antiseptic or a preserver or that which prevents corruption. They speak of, this is kind of, a, if you compare the, the light with the salt of the earth, this is the, this is the negative part of it. When we see something's going wrong, we jump in and try to make it right. We recognize that, that we want to, to speak in such a way, we want to live in such a way that we keep things from going further wrong. Sometimes that means that we got to be bold to speak out and come to the defense of others when everyone else is attacking them. It means that, that we live in such a way that we, we're there to put a lid on things that are evil. You know, it's been said that all, all it takes for evil to spread is for good people to do absolutely what? Nothing. And Jesus was saying, you are the salt of the earth. Now, what's interesting here, and this was in the text that we read earlier, Jesus goes on after he says, you are the salt of the earth, and he says, but if the salt loses its flavor, how will it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Now, some skeptics, as they looked at this, said, well, here, here's an example where Jesus can't be all he claimed to be because he said something that's not, it's not true. You, you, you can't have salt that loses its flavor. Salt, sodium chloride, if I got the chemicals right, you know, salt remains. Salt always, always, is always salt. But I, but I think they looked at it too narrowly. You know, salt, I guess, doesn't decompose from what I've read. But you can... You can mix elements with salt and take away its flavor and its ability to do what it's supposed to do. In fact, if you go to the Dead Sea in Israel and you go to the Salton Sea you know, down, the, down the path toward Indio and whatever way down there, uh, the uh, salt there is so contaminated that you can't use it. And there's a gypsum in, in the Dead Sea which has destroyed salt where it's really unusable. I guess the point here is he's saying, and this is the warning here, you are the salt of the earth. 
but you can lose your effectiveness by contaminating your life. And of course, the applications are, are very, very simple there. You know, what are the things in your life that are taking away the flavor of God, permeating who He is to others around you? What are the sins that you're holding on to? What are the attitudes that, that, that take over you, that causes your ability to, to be salt in the, this earth messed up? Because you've allowed things in this world to contaminate who you are. You know, I was looking <laughs> this past week of, uh, you know, just a simple salt shaker that we have at our house. And, and this, is, this is pure salt. You can put it on whatever you like to, to flavor your food with, and it, it would do what's it intended to do. But it wouldn't take much for you to say, I don't want to use your salt, Mike. If I were to unscrew this lid and spit in it, how many want to take it home? Or if I would put some dirt in there and mix it up a little bit, how many want to take this and put it on their food? And that's what happens. Or, or we could be a person that, that maybe doesn't contaminate their salt, but, but never takes the salt out of the salt shaker. I, I was reading about a, a guy that was in the Marine Corps, and he was so afraid that he'd be ridiculed for his faith. And so he told his parents, just pray for me so I don't get ridiculed for my faith when, when I'm at boot camp. Well, the time came, he, he, got, he got through boot camp and he talked to his parents, well, did they ridicule you at boot camp? And he said, no, no, they didn't, they didn't say a word against me. And I said, well, how did that happen? He said, he said, well, I never told them that I was a Christian. He was salt, but he, he never got the salt out of the salt shake. So as we think about Jesus making that declarative statement about our identity, we recognize this is who we are, but, but sometimes we don't live it out because we contaminate it, we spit in what he's given us or spit on what he has given us, or we, we simply just don't get it out of the vessel he has put in it, which is our life. You are the salt of the earth. He also, however, said you are the light of the world. And we don't have that text written in your outline this morning, but just reading it. Uh, you are the light of the world, Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. A, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So again, he, he speaks very simply, and this message is pretty simple. You are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. What does he mean by that? Well, again, it's interesting. He uses the word you, not in the singular, but the plural. And again, that makes a statement. He's speaking to them all individually and all of them collectively. He is speaking in their lives who feel that they aren't worth anything. Yeah, no, you are worth so much because not only are you salt, but you are light. And, and, and again, as we think about the, the message of Jesus, how powerful this could be. Because we know in the I am statements of Jesus, he said so many things about who he was. And, and one of the statements he said in John chapter 8 was that he said, I am the light of the world. And now what is he saying? He said, well, you are the light of the world. And as you think about the Christian experience, really what it's all about is, to, is for people to recognize that we have a family resemblance to who? To Jesus, to God. And he makes this statement that as you come to my family, you become who I am. 
I am the light of the world. Now, we need to understand there's some distinction between Jesus being the light of the world and we being the light of the world. Part of that is understanding, as Jesus being God, that His light is in its fullness. And that's what I meant in the the next statement. The light of the world is Jesus. Light in its fullness describes God. In John chapter 1, verse 5, it says that, that God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. When Jesus lived in this world, he was a light and he never did a dark deed. He, he never did that which broke the commandments of God. He never did that which would be considered sin. In fact, no one could accuse him of any wrongdoing. Now, we are the light of the world, but however, even though we're not walking in darkness, we can still do the deeds, deeds of darkness. And that's the humbling challenge for us. We are light, but sometimes we creep up and do the deeds of darkness. And also we need to understand this in terms of the distinction between Jesus being the light of the world and we being the light of the world. Light from us has a source. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8, Paul writes this, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the world. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. He says, for you are now light in the world. That's not where we came into this world, but that's now what we have become. Or to put it this way, as we think about the two lights that shine in our life, morning, I mean, new, I mean, in the day and in the evening, we have the sun that shines during the day and we have the what that shines in the, in the night, the moon. But there's a difference between the moon and the sun. The sun generates its own light. The moon only what? Reflects the light of the sun. And so as we think about this, this is our identity, but we need to understand it only comes from Him. If we were to look at a particular bulb, and we would say it, it's, it's shining its light. If we thought about it for any length of time, we recognize that there's nothing within that bulb itself that gives us the ability to shine on its own. It only shines when it's connected to the power source and is turned on. So we shouldn't be surprised at times when, when we mess up or we see other Christians mess up because when we mess up, it's because we are not at that moment connected to the power source. And that power source is not turned on. Or, or probably maybe even more theologically correct, we have the power source connected, but we haven't turned it on. Because God never leaves us, but at times we switch him off because we decide to go a different path. And so as we think about being called to be light of the world, we need to recognize that that God is a perfect light. There is no darkness in him. That he is the source of light for us. And then we want to be people who can see God living his light through us. So what does this light do? Well, light is that which gives people direction. Psalm 119, verse 105 says this, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So as we think about being a light in this world, that's really the focus that we need to recognize what God has left us here for. We want to let our lives live in such a way that people can see Jesus in us and the direction that we give is to lead him to the source of our light. 
That's what light does. It, it illumines the path for people to see. And as we think about it, that's that's why we have as an emphasis at Grace Hills Church that, that we ought to see ourselves just like, like the Word of God speaks, that we're all not only salt of the earth and light of the world, but we're all to be people who reach out to our oikos, to people in our relational world that don't know Him. Because we are maybe the only Bible they'll ever read as they look at our lives. We're going to be only the picture of God to them that they can ever see. And so we want our light to shine brightly as we speak for Him. Light is also shown in terms of the Scripture in our attitudes and actions. And if you have a moment, if you have your Bibles real quick, we'll turn to Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Interesting passage that, that, that speaks about us being lights and how that's supposed to be demonstrated in the world. In Philippians 2, 14 and 15, it says this, Do all things without complaining and disputing. Or you can put it this way, Do all things without whining and uh, you know, just being you know, uh, a person that just is a complainer all the time. Now, if you want a verse that's going to challenge you, be that kind of... Uh, person. And then he says this, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without faith in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as what? Lights in the world. Our attitude and actions demonstrate whether we're walking with Jesus. And people will see that. It's also light, and this is primarily the application in terms of the, the intentional app. It, it is a spoken message. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 through 6, or, or listen to it as I read. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 through 6 says this. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the gods of this age has blinded, and do not believe, lest the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves, your bondservants, for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now, if, if you didn't pick up the simple message in that, those three or four verses, it's this, is that the light that's supposed to be shown is the light that's found in the message of Christ. And we can light up other people's lives when we point them to the direction of the source of true life, which is Jesus. We are lights in this world, and we are called to let that light shine. But the sobering truth is, it's like salt can be contaminated, it can be left in the salt shaker, light can be hidden. You know, as I was thinking about this morning, I was thinking, um, you know, life is like a box of matches. <laughs> you, know, you know, as you think about light, sometimes, sometimes our light is like, you know, matches. You know, we, uh, there's a source of light in our life, and it can, it can burn, and, and people can see it for, for a moment. But how long, does, how long does it last? And, and what will it take for people to kind of see that light hidden? Now, 
a match will only burn for so long. It's burning longer than I wanted it to. But if the winds of this world come, it doesn't take much for it to, to lose its effectiveness and to lose the brightness of it. It's still glowing, but it can barely be seen. There's other sources of light. I was taking these lighter this morning, and if I, if I keep the finger down, it will go for a long period of time. But even if this light continues, if I were to hide it, it would be hard to see. God has called us into a blessed favor with Him based on nothing that we are but a people who see that we are poor in spirit and need Him desperately. That, that mourn over our sin, recognizing that there's nothing within ourselves that we have done that measure up to His perfect standard. That have come to that point where we desperately cry out to Him and ask for His mercy and, he, and we receive it by faith. But then as we become part of His family, He says, I, I have brought you to a place that is filled with value and purpose. You are the salt of the earth. You are to bring flavor to life. You ought to bring that which will produce a thirst in people's lives for me. Don't contaminate it with the things of this world. You know, who's influencing who? We are to live in a world that is filled with so many landmines that can trip us up and blow us up. But we do not have to live in this world with fear. Because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. But we need to understand that that which influences something else must be different from that which it influences. If we're going to influence this world, then we cannot be like this world. We can't influence this world for God if, if all we do is to live like the world. God wants us to be a a salt that permeates life, that touches down where people live, that bring flavor and thirst to draw them to the Savior. We are to live lights in this world that, that aren't hidden by the fears of this world, but to shine brightly so that people can see Jesus in us. Let's pray. Father, why are we to be this kind of people? Because this brings glory to you. And it manifests who you are to a world that so desperately needs you. Maybe there's someone this morning that has come into this place and they haven't made that first step to know you in a personal way. They're on the outside looking in. And the challenge for them this morning is to make that commitment, to, to admit their need and to turn from that which keeps them away from you to believe that Jesus fully paid the penalty for all our sins and rose again, and to commit even where they sit this morning to follow the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. And they, they can begin that with just simply saying, Lord Jesus, I want to know you. Forgive me my sins. Come into my life. I want to follow you. But, but Father, for some of us, we've, we've already made that commitment, but there, there are things in our life right now that are keeping us from 
getting the salt out of our salt shaker, our life. There are things in our life that are keeping us from letting that light shine brightly and we're hiding that light because we know there's some things in our life that are dishonoring to you. Father, might as we continue to, to worship you through our giving and through our worship and praise, might you take these moments in this place and call us to be honest with you. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Mm-hmm.